0: Okay, Chris, so while you catch up on the article, I'm going to go make myself the coffee. I got my beer. (laughs) Nice one. Well, I'm going to start with a general whinge. Cool. Which is...
1: Oh, so uncharacteristic.
0: <laughs> Ever since we brought it up on the podcast, I cannot get decaf coffee from Aldi for the life it of me. It was
1: hard. I remember when I moved to Cameron you were raving about how good the decaf coffee was and it took me a month. I had to send photos to your wife to say, am I missing something? Am I an idiot? Where is
0: it? <laughs> Come on, Aldi. I know there's general supply chain issues across the world right now, but fix your decaf coffee one, please.
1: It's the it's what the people crave. Everyone, ask any coffee drinker what they wish they had more of
0: was decaf. Exactly. Instant decaf Aldi coffee. It's right up there on the list. I did want to say one thing prior to starting. So
1: I spent a week or so trying to use Spotify for podcasts, which is so hilariously terrible. Like Spotify have bought <laughs> Gimlet. They've bought... Joe Rogan that bought all this stuff to try to bring people on for their exclusive podcasts and become the podcast app of choice. And it's so bad for listening to podcasts. There is no like just general list of podcasts that you subscribe to and automatically come down and you just press play on that list and wherever you're up to, you're up to. There's no fine gain control like i get in my favorite podcast app where i can say anytime this one comes out put it straight to the top of the list because i want to listen to it first and anytime this one comes out put it down the bottom somewhere and i'll get to it eventually and like honestly i've subscribed to far too many podcasts so those down the bottom ones never get listened to but it's nice to have them there yep. sometimes i see them and like oh yeah plenty of money i used to enjoy that show anyway <laughs> the reason i did this is because i'm buying a super fancy electric car that comes with android built into the dashboard which means you can't Pair your Android to it like I can with my current car, and I knew it come with Spotify. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to, you know, have this super ultra cutting edge high tech car that has Spotify built into it, and then just use Bluetooth off my phone and have it like precariously balanced on an air vent or something. So I stab it when I want to change the podcast or whatever. So I'll give Spotify a chance, and this is why I spent a week being infuriated with how terrible Spotify's engineers are that they can't. Break out of the paradigm of how you listen to music is definitely not. Hey, listen to podcasts. You know what? The only podcast app I've discovered that is available for Android Automotive operating system. No, it's the one that I use on my phone, and it supports sync between phone and car. Oh my god! <laughs> 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 what are you on? Pocket Casts. Pocket Casts is what I use. Literally, it's the only podcast app that you can download directly into my car. I didn't even think to research that. I'm like, oh, probably only has Spotify. Guess I better get
0: used to this. Okay, we're back, everybody. It's Affix, the podcast that hasn't been around for six months or something like that, where Chris and Brian talk about the musings of, I don't know, smart people on the internet who write big blogs. And sometimes they talk about stuff in other forms than blogs, but whatever. We mostly stick to the blog stuff because that's cool.
1: Because I don't leave my house, so I have no chance to listen to podcasts anymore.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, also we make bets about whatever stuff that Brian loses for the high stakes over coffee. And I talk about Diablo a little bit as well. So that's all fun and games. I should do a
1: review of the Coffee Bet list of it. There's a few that have resolved by now, although we've got some real long-term ones. It's not 2030 yet. which is what
0: a lot of them resolve. Did I end up paying you out for the inflation one? I know we were watching that like hawks.
1: Yeah, because I just pipped that one, didn't I? I bet on the high side of 3.5 and it turned out to be 3.7%.
0: Yeah, the September quarter had 3.7, and we're like, ooh, what's December going to do? Being the biggest yeah. nerds possible.
1: Yeah, well, with American inflation at 7.5%, and honestly, it honestly amazes me how low it is.
0: And with unemployment forecast to be the lowest it has been in Australia since the 70s. Wow. That's and the like participation rate is ridiculously high as well. I will put a link in wow. the show notes to the RBA notes on that, because that is just, it was a crazy briefing paper. Please, I'll probably read it. That's fascinating. I already linked it in the Discord. Oh, I missed it. I think you saw me quote it and you're like, I got the gist of this. I don't Uh, need to read that. Yeah, that sounds like me. I like things getting gisted. So normally we like cover off on what happened in the last episode and like... No, we're totally doing that. All right. Well, good. Chris can do that because I have not listened to it and I cannot remember anything of it. What I was going to cover off on was like general thoughts on, you know, why we took so long to come back or why I took so long to come back because I think it was mostly me holding us up. Chris, you just generally seemed in a better place. A lot of the reason for me coming to do this was just... Talking to Chris and supporting my best friend as he, you know, I mean, I adjusts to a that. new life. And Chris seemed to have adjusted pretty well to a new life at that time. So I was like, I can back off on this conversation a bit. Thank you. I appreciate the help
1: adjusting. And I do think it probably did help a lot. I was in a pretty dark place for a year. I still sometimes go back to the dark place, but it's pretty rare now. Not never, but much, much rarer than it would have been at the start of last year. And through, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was tough. It was a tough move. It's tough to completely change everything about your entire life All within six months. So a bit of help with that was very
0: useful. Yeah, for sure. And then to build on why I'm back is over the last six months or so, I can feel my mental acuity just like not being as sharp because I'm not reading all these blogs and being like, what's the counter argument here that I can talk about with Chris? I just sort of, I'm taking them more interpretation. Exactly. I'm taking them at face value. I like read a counter argument from Zvi about some musings from Scott Alexander. And I'm like, once upon a time, I would have come up with these counter arguments, but I was just mm. lazily reading the things, not thinking of them at all. So I think it'd be I good never, for me to just have this conversation again. Yep. Well, I don't know whether
1: we're going to commit to any particular schedule, but I am looking forward to some, maybe not even schedule, but some regularity. Yeah, we'll figure something out.
0: You know, we'll experiment.
1: Last episode, everyone's got it fresh in their mind. I'm sure everyone's gone back to re-listen to the entire series in anticipation for this blockbuster event. We should have taken out a Super Bowl and just missed a chance, <laughs> so we can't. We talked about energy, what we can do with too cheap to meter power and blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah. And I even said, I had a throw-off comment there and I'm like, oh, we're, and because we had a coffee bet on the price of a kilowatt hour of energy and I'm like, oh, we'll only talk about the variable cost because the fixed cost might go up, blah, 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 whatever. I'm actually like knowing someone who operates the grid in a much darker view of how long it would take to upgrade the grid to take advantage of all this power. And I wonder whether we're going to be pushed towards much more localized generation and use through your own personal solar and battery rather than trying to upgrade the grid because... We already can't handle peak demand at the moment. My city, Canberra, seems to have a plan to go completely carbon neutral at some point. And if we just switched off all of the gas that's used to heat homes and the petrol that's used to power cars, like we'd need to triple the size of the grid. And no one seems to have any particular plan to start doing that. Yeah, right. oh, that's in 2040. So, you know, it's not in this regulation submission and it's not in the next regulation submission. So literally no one's thinking about it whatsoever.
0: And so I, I'm worried a bit about that. Just to be clear for listeners, this isn't about power generation. This is about actually facilitating the distribution of that power across to every individual I guess, node in the network.
1: Yeah. So primarily they call them zone subs. So they're these huge transformers that take the, you know, the gigantic cross state power lines that are I don't know, how big are they, 200 metres tall kind of thing that really thick cables that are running at a millionty-billionty volts and then they get zone-subbed down to 36 kilovolts and then they get zone-subbed down to 1 kilovolts or something and then eventually they turn into the three-phase 480 volt and then you get one of those phases to give you 240 volt that actually plugs into your house. And all of that infrastructure to do that scaling up and scaling down of power is very expensive to install and maintain and particularly to install, I would gather.
0: Yeah, like we had a holiday together in between all the podcast recordings and stuff and like... You were pushing me for billion-dollar ideas, and I was pushing the concept of you know services for microgrids because it seemed to be the future. Do you think there's more of a mm-hmm. future for microgrids mm-hmm. now? I'm much more on board. I'm like, if I can just use
1: my libertarian government can't-do-nothing-right persona that I so regularly like to put on. It does <laughs> seem like there's no competition, so there's all of these structures put in to get a reasonable price for the end consumer, which is me, in a reasonable, steady state. Like, there's, you know, because nothing has really changed in the grid, we've sort of established that Americans use the same energy per capita or the same electricity per capita since the 70s, I think Mm -hmm. was the stat we said last podcast. I don't know whether how different or similar that is for Australians, but I would imagine that it's similar. So this is a whole industry that is built around steady state. They're not actually trying to grow the industry and provide more power. Like any other industry would be like, yeah, next year we're going to sell 20% more power, which means we have to get the capex to build a 50 more zone subs and blah, blah, blah. This industry is totally, totally not set up for that. And I do think that I don't know. I just, I just, you know, the libertarian in despairs that any government program can change on a dime to be set up for that. So maybe people who want to use all that power to get their sweet dishwasher that can wash and dry inside of 45 minutes, but it got made illegal by the Biden administration because it uses so much power to do that. And the people who want to use those things are going to have to turn to private solutions like microgrids. So you're, you're much more convincing now than you were in the last podcast. Well, maybe I'm just smarter now than I was last
0: podcast. Yeah, you just can blame it on me. That's just fine. more informed. That's interesting. I had a thought in amongst that, and then I got distracted by all the interesting words you were saying. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> what was my thought? Right, being a big libertarian and stuff like that. Mm. The way that our government has set up energy infrastructure companies to be able to actually have a billing system is they mark up on their infrastructure, right? Uh, so they have to get a guaranteed return on investment of their infrastructure so that's why yes
1: yeah 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 so they they get a budget basically that you can charge you know 20 million dollars and therefore and but you have to spend 18 million of that on upgrades or i don't know those numbers are probably way out of whack but it's
0: something along those lines yep so that would actually disincentivize growing as well because if you want to scale up in advance of demand then you have to charge more in advance of that demand coming in so everyone will hate you because your energy prices will be going up, even though the vendors are going up. Yes,
1: for essentially no benefit. So, yes, it would hurt the constituents. And it does seem like it's almost deliberately set up as an adversarial relationship, which is good. I can sort of get that those are good, that the only way the power grid makes a profit is that they build more stuff. So they're always saying, oh yeah, we need gold-plated bulletproof everything and it's going to cost a trillion two dollars and then we'll make 20% of a trillion two dollars in profit and our shareholders will be really happy and the government has to step in and say, no, that's ridiculous. You can just use wooden sticks and like throw some electricity inside of a cricket ball to the people out <laughs> on the farms. Or I don't really know how electrons work, man. Uh, I'm a software dev now, not an engineer. So they set up this deliberate adversarial where the power grid always tries to go high and the um, energy regulator always tries to go low to try to to some sort of compromise. But it's always on an assumption, I would guess, that, you know, power demands aren't going to change very much. Yeah, tricky.
0: All right. Well, there you go. Anyone who's feeling entrepreneurial, microgrids, like seriously, big opportunity. Really genuinely feels like a big opportunity with the price of solar panels
1: coming down so cheap with batteries, you know, probably still on a five-year leg. I don't know. I'm bullish on electric cars again, which is, you know, completely counter to the market where Tesla's owning a 1,000 times price <laughs> to equity ratio, or whatever they're earning. But uh, now that I have actually just such a contrarian, or yes, I'm just a real contrarian that I think electric cars are going to be big, <laughs> and I don't think we really thought about how we're going to charge them all.
0: Yeah, that is concerning. It just seems so obvious. Still a little disappointing. So
1: hopefully we can, yeah, hopefully we can find a solution, and possibly microgrids and solar battery
0: is our portion of it. So we're only doing one article tonight, just to warm ourselves back up. We'll see how we go. This one was something that Chris stumbled across. I don't even know how he found it. I'm presuming he just got it recommended off it Hacker Tyler. News. or Ty- Oh, it was Tyler, was it? No, I'm pretty sure it was Tyler. I've gotten so bad at actually clicking Tyler's links these days. I'm really good at clicking his yeah. Twitter links and then apparently using my phone uh, for over 24 hours a day.
1: You're, I mean, that's what all that's what anyone who installs Twitter does. You're not out of the normal there. <laughs> that's a very normal thing once
0: you've got Twitter installed. 24 hours a day. Anyway, uh, maybe I'll get a screenshot put up in in the show notes for that as well. (laughs) Um, So Chris found this. It was linked on marginal revolution from Tyler Cowen, the great aggregator, not stagnator. Dude can read. Dude reads everything that has ever been written. Oh, my gosh, yes. And replies to emails very quickly, no matter what it is.
1: Yeah, really quickly.
0: Good for him. Yeah, definitely. So this is The Dangers of High-Status, Low-Wage Jobs by MDMA Kowski. Or it might be M.D. Mikowski I don't know. Yeah, hard to say. You could do some kind of like a Rorschach test on my interpretation of his name.
1: Mm-hmm. Raised eyebrow. <laughs> yeah, once I've heard his name, it's three or four times. That's how long it took me for to a time old and applied divinity studies. So maybe this guy's, you know, he's got a few more before I'm willing to subscribe. Yeah,
0: so this is Economist Writing Every Day is the name of his blog. Oh, that's too much. I can't I take it back. <laughs> it's too much. I can't handle it. Anywho, so this is kind of looking at how status can distort society or job choice in terms of weighing up actual monetary rewards versus status rewards. And we've had the discussion previously that Chris is a guy who likes a lot of status, he likes to pursue status, and I just like to pursue power. But we both like money. Good. Yeah, but we both like money. It's a way to achieve both. And this particular article is really is arguing that journalism as an industry is so heavily weighted on status that it completely distorts the market. And opens with this interesting piece I don't know that's a reliable observation, but an observation nonetheless on Twitter that roughly half the journalists under 40 live in this really tiny area of... Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn. Thank you. I was going to say Boston. I was knew I was wrong. Boston's not in New York. I know. <laughs> Macrobio <laughs> boys from Boston. That's how I know. Have you been to Boston? You've only been to Chicago. I've been to New York and Chicago and Vegas. I've never been to Boston either. I'd like to go there now that I know someone in Boston, but yeah.
1: You could go and audit a lecture. I've kind of always wanted to audit a lecture. Mm. Sounds so fancy
0: for like sneaking into someone's lecture and not paying for it. That was actually one of the things I wanted to do in Chicago. Was just like go to the University of Chicago and just walk in. But unfortunately, I had to actually go to the office and do work. Oh
1: mm, my god, jobs, man! They takes so much time. I know, right?
0: I know. If only I got more status from them, but they pay pretty well. So this economist is basically weighing up. Okay, how do high prestige jobs that really prioritize status over anything and you were willing to sacrifice getting money, you're gonna basically get paid a pittance to get into these jobs and you're only pursuing it for status. What's the end outcome gonna be here? And how does that distort, you know, the actual output?
1: It really is very focused on journalism. Can you think of another example of a very high status, low paying job like this? Like journalism seems to really, really fit this mold because journalism pays going down and down and down and a lot of places going bankrupt and,
0: you know, being a staff writer for the New York Times barely covers probably doesn't cover rent in Brooklyn, I would guess. I don't know that it's status, but this was something that I ran into when I was training to be a pilot, right? Same kind of thing. Sure. Like, there's a bit of status around being a pilot, but, like, the people who want to be pilots love it. They are so interested in the mechanics of a plane. They are willing to sacrifice money to just be in this field. And, you know, like, later on, there's the promised return of, I don't know, being a big airliner pilot and you get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But when you're in the regionals, You are basically getting minimum wage, if not less than if you actually factor in all the hours that you're working, flying those planes and doing checklists and whatnot. Yeah, right. So, you basically need parents, rich parents to bankroll you. And it wasn't for me, (laughs) basically. I wanted that money, all but right? For no other reason than you didn't have uh, rich parents. Obviously, that was the one. So, yeah, no, I've, I feel there's more areas, but journalism is definitely the one that has the impact on society, I suppose would be the big thing, right? Like, Yeah, it does.
1: Like, this article tries to make general claims about status and blah, 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 but it really is just picking on journalism, which is nice Freddie DeBoer thing to do, and this is a different take on it, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, so it boils down to, like, six points i'm not going to go through the whole introduction but this is kind of how it is it's just like oh yeah all these journalists all these young journalists living in brooklyn they used to be employed by gawker and now they're oh yeah gawker was the thing doing something else you know times so the overall six points basically if you look at inequality you think inequality is a bad thing well status is even less equal than income yeah yeah for sure almost definitionally it's going to be at a societal level a zero-sum game yep there's only so many people you can have heard of so everyone's heard of kanye west but not everyone's heard of random substack author that i (laughs) idolize so there's going to be like power distributions to that and you know what you've got to really fight hard for status and it's going to be a bad bad place second of all status can't pay the rent you know money money can be exchanged for goods and services It's very helpful. It is very helpful. I want to
1: say that's my favorite thing to do with money, but it's definitely not. It's definitely to invest it in the share market and make numbers go up. I think I like that even more than spending it on goods and services.
0: I concur. So, in terms of like actually, the people who will pursue these kind of jobs, they're gonna have different motivators to the rest of society, I'd say, and different concerns. Yep, would probably be the key thing there. So, as we said, you know. You're going to have to have parents who can support you monetarily through that. Yeah, so just... I think there's a real selection bias for people who come from relatively wealthy backgrounds.
1: Because if you're a poor, starving, sheep shearer's son, you're not going into journalism because you can't pay the rent. You literally can't survive on that money. You have to have some outside influence, feeding money in so that you can find your feet kind of thing. And you might make it later, but you just can't get a start in this industry, really, without some kind of financial backing.
0: Yeah. And then the third point is 22-year-olds will often accept status in lieu of wages. Which kind of goes to the previous point. But at the same time, I don't know that that's all 22-year-olds. I think it's just exactly the ones you pointed out, the ones who do have a safety net who can carry them. There's going to be a lot yeah. of 22-year-olds scraping by at McDonald's, wasting their talent, but you're not going to be hearing from them in the New York Times, that's for sure. I do think status anxiety is more a younger person's
1: game, possibly because I've grown out of it slightly. But it seems like, you know, what's the famous stat? You know, 708% of 12-year-olds, when you ask them what their dream job is, is they want to be a YouTuber kind of thing being famous and high status and like, I don't know, I remember Ferraris and stuff really, really appealing to me when I was young and now they seem a little gauched, still beautiful things, but I don't aspire to own one as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, And I do think that a lot of people grow out of that like real status focus that you have when you're younger because you can't even explain why you want a Ferrari or when you explain why you want a Ferrari, oh, it's because it's the fastest, or because it looks so cool, or because something, something. It's like the concept of status symbols doesn't even like have a shape in your mind. You just know it's something you really, 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 really want. It seems like the most important thing.
0: Yeah, it's a good point actually. Like assuming you've got, some level of safety net. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're a trust fund kid or something, but you've got like some level of safety net. I can see that there would be a lot of young people who would be willing to take minimum wage instead of moderate wage for the opportunity to be, I don't know, working for Rolling Stone and interview Kanye or something like that, right? Like how cool would they seem to their friends then? Very cool. That would seem very cool to their friends. And probably not even interview Kanye, just be like the intern who brings water to the person who actually is interviewing (laughs) kanye but you know you get to vaguely be in the room where kanye once was. exactly and then next point is that status rewards lead to homogeneity essentially saying you know there's a lot of hurting behavior as as we were discussing you know with the nature of status being dog eat dog you're gonna be very incentivized to not stand out lest you be kicked out of the pack basically
1: sure and i think that this is like this isn't just A status industry thing. This seems even more specific to journalism. Like, how did we find this guy? Someone we already read was linking to him. So you really can't piss off your peers. Like, it's not like, I mean, you probably shouldn't piss off your peers in any industry, but if I piss off every software developer in Instacluster, probably the company across the road will still hire me. Whereas if you piss off every journalist in your niche, they're not going to retweet you. They're not going to link to your work. You're going to actually have a genuinely really difficult time growing your audience because you're your only marketing channel is generally other people linking to you. That is how ad- journalists advertise themselves, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, that's actually a great point. It's like it's very peer-to-peer network-based, guerrilla marketing style. You can't actually just go out and buy ads for Astral Codex 10 or something on Google. I've never seen one. So
1: No, I've never seen that.
0: I, I genuinely am curious. Actually, like um, Stratechery Podcast, one of the first things
1: we bonded over, was discovered through an ad. But that seems vanishingly rare for any other media that I've started reading. Yeah. Right. I think that you found an ad on Overcast for that. Yeah, no, like, that oh, was exactly interesting. It, yeah. and then you recommend it to me and then we started reading Exponent and so the friendship goes. But that
0: is really deeply unusual. And this is it's actually a nice way to tie it back before we wrap up the point of the article, which I think the final conclusion of the article is garbage anyway. So I'm gonna happily ignore. <laughs> okay. Which is like talking about that advertising channel and it makes me think, why don't Substack authors actually advertise? Like advertising generally seem to be a good thing. And if there's these outsized returns to substacks where these authors are getting paid huge amounts, seems like a good way to go. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Spend a bit of money up front to make a lot of money
1: on the back end. That's
0: called business usually. Yeah. So I just wonder if like, I don't know, maybe that's a blind spot people have, or if they're just too used to the industry norm of referrals, get you clicks rather than just Google AdWords or whatever. I don't know how that would work. Yeah. I guess it's a different
1: zone, right? I get ads for things that I'm Googling, which is often with a purchase intent in mind, sort of thing. Like I did a whole lot of research on electric cars before I settled on the one, and possibly I even saw an ad for it, which is what caused me to buy it. Not totally sure where I found the car that I've finally bought. But that sales funnel is really obvious, whereas if I'm you know, waking up in the morning with a coffee and I just want to read what I always read, and what I always read sometimes links me out to other stuff, and like I say, on the third time that I've heard of applied divinity studies, I'm like, this guy's great. I'm going to subscribe to him as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the blogs don't really host ads or anything either, do they?
1: Not a lot of them. Um, ben Hobart does. Matt Levine does.
0: Not for that kind of content, though. Although Matt Levine is linking everywhere to other Bloomberg stuff to read. Matt Levine does seem to be like a loss leader for
1: Bloomberg to get me to buy a Bloomberg subscription. That seems to be mostly his purpose, I guess. I mean, he
0: does a good job of Shocks it. Shocks me that
1: he he must be locked to like some ironclad contractor. <laughs> Because he would be a millionaire inside a week if he launched a Substack, I reckon. Oh, totally! Like he, his readership—it's you and me, which is probably a little unusual. It's got to be mostly investment bankers. So it's like you know, the bronze tier of my Substack is a hundred bucks a month, and like thousands of people are going to be like, hundred bucks a month? Sure, that's one cocktail for my normal bar. Seems fine."
0: Yeah, I'm doing some marking of university stuff at the minute, so made sure that I talked to the lecturer there who teaches finance and was like, "So you need to be working Matt Levine into your teachings because." Hmm. It's just mandatory, okay? It's how it goes. Then these kids will actually be interested in what they're studying. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, so it just feels like, I don't know. Maybe that's a gap. Maybe it's just the industry norm. Maybe it's also the fact that Google News actually aggregates news sites rather than having any advertising potential there. Like you can't just pay to g- yeah, get maybe put up front there. Because that's the only other kind of aggregator on that front that I can think of, right? Yeah, Google News is a big one. I do hear that it's quite large. A lot of people
1: get their news from Google News and there's been a lot of fights about it back and forth. Yeah, but yeah. So maybe getting into there is reasonable.
0: But also it's, it's very new, right? Like Substack is only the last 18 months, if that. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. The norms of the industry are not well defined yet if it's only 18 months old. So maybe there's, there's room to move here, and which is like an argument that I want to make against this article as well, where it's like, oh yeah, now there's all these disproportionate returns. If you get to the top, you make all these millions of dollars on Substack. And I'm like, most people got into this game back when it was just status and there wasn't outsized returns. When the outsized return was a hundred and ten thousand dollar salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know whether There's many people going with a writer to be a millionaire movie star or a millionaire doctor or whatever the other high status, high prestige jobs are. Yeah. So I don't know what did, what were your thoughts on it because that was the big one that stood out to me. Now that you bring it up.
1: Yeah, sorry, I mean, I I did want to touch on the last one, which is mainly possibly unconvincing. Possibly this whole article is unconvincing, although interesting. I don't know whether the thesis hangs together. There's just a lot of interesting points that are interesting in isolation worth discussing. So his conclusion is that the way to make money in it is to be a heretic, is to go against completely your social group and be a, I'm guessing, like right-wing Fox News shock jock, which, again, I don't think it makes sense, but I do think that there are returns to not saying what everyone else is saying. I think Freddie Badova raises this, who is another big media critic. That was how I started reading him, was his critics of the media. And now he's just a cool Marxist, I guess, who I disagree <laughs> with. But, you know, he's got some interesting things that he says, was that you can't, you just can't sell what everyone else is selling. Like if everyone is um, under 40s Brooklynite with super-duper progressive politics and talks about... Uh, you know, race and gender and all the super progressive and canceling student debt and all of this kind of thing. You can't. It's really hard to make a name for yourself in that environment because you've got to be the best of 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 the best. Because everyone's saying the same thing. The only way to go against that grain is to have something unique to say. So Freddie Devoe actively rails against a lot of other journalists, and he's a Marxist. A lot of the people we read are libertarians, etc. There's a lot of like super anti-woke, which is like normal gender stereotypes are the best and we should all be Christians again kind of thing. Yep. Um, Because there is a market to read those people, because perhaps because of the homogeneity of like you need to say what all your friends are saying in order to get links from them uh, so you can't piss them off. So the people who want to, but the general population is more diverse than that so they want to read about how it's great to be a Christian and uh, have a woman in the kitchen and the man in the business or whatever. Yep. Uh, so there's more readers for that and they're actually having to pay for it because it's really hard to get for free. All these journalists working their tiny, tiny wage jobs are incentivized to write other things. and I guess it just seemed like a good one to kick off on because like the literal last line that you put after the credits of last episode was like, uh, it feels like the way we have to grow this business is to be like super shock jocks and just make everyone really angry all the time so we get shares. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. I don't believe that. I don't want to have to say controversial things for the sole sake of getting my podcast shared to more people.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. I think, yeah. Well, one, I don't want to say things that I don't believe in, uh, and two, just seems like a trainer, like being a shock jock. Ugh. Yeah, no, it just doesn't seem like a nice
1: life. And I think you can be incentivized into it. It's like, oh, every time I say something shocking and controversial, I double my listenership sort of thing. And so if you're really focused on the numbers and growing it, and I sort of was. We never really tried much growth hacking, but we did ask you all to share your podcast ideas and share it with your friends, et etc., et cetera, to try to grow the numbers. And if we got really focused in that, we could go down a dark path of like, oh, we've discovered this growth hack of like, we just appeal to Nazis. And it turns out there's not enough Nazi podcasts. So if we're just like known as the Nazi guys, it's going to go good. <laughs>
0: so here's the obvious build on that little discussion point there so all these views are in the traditional media of you know whatever wokeism and blah 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 and they're all there and there's all this latent demand for all the alternative views you know being a trad wife being a Diablo 2 speed runner being yep. super into I don't know whatever other That's stuff main conservative ideologies <laughs> trad wife, Diablo 2 <laughs> look you know you gotta fight the devil uh, <laughs> it's a very religious game It is. Anyway, you've got to go somewhere else for those. You can't find them in traditional media. So where do you go? You go through the internet aggregators to find them. You go onto YouTube to find Jordan Peterson videos. You go onto Spotify to listen to Joe Rogan. You go onto Facebook to read a bunch of nutters. And that just creates more hatred in between all the groups. It just doesn't feel like a very stable situation, but it's kind of just the dynamics that we see. Yep.
1: And this is what his worry is about. But anyway, I don't totally agree with his conclusion. His conclusion is like the only way to make money is to be uh, a heretic and go against the grain. And he's like, oh, I'm not worried about the homogeneity of thought uh, in all these journalists. You know, I think that the opening line was like the reason they, no one expected such a moderate mayor of New York is because all the journalists lived there and they're all super duper progressive. So all they did was talk about the super duper progressive mayor candidate. And then everyone was totally shocked when a, just a regular left wing candidate sort of won. He's worried, it's like, oh, that homogeneity then leads to heretics, and then the heretics are all the shock jocks, and they will do all the evil things, and that's, you know, that's the breeding ground for the next Donald Trump and
0: whatever, which... And just to make it obvious that, like, he, he's literally saying, the person who was 22 years old and went for all this status then finds themselves at 40 and is like, oh, I've got to make money, so now I'll be a shock jock. Yep. Whereas what we're saying instead is, well, it's just is environmental dynamics that end up being anyone who's outside of that circle is actually finding an audience now through alternate means. And... Sure. Some get money. I'm sure a lot of people who write blogs make no money. I don't know how much money it'd make from all this COVID blogging, but...
1: Not a lot. That's sort of why I was encouraged to make a Substack. I know a couple of podcasters who made very little money over
0: the course of six to eight months. (laughs) Negative money.
1: Probably negative money.
0: I haven't actually checked. So, you know, whatever. I didn't really buy the arguments in here, but exactly as you said, there were some interesting points and it's interesting to think, you know, no, it's not interesting to think... I just had to stop myself from being smug a couple of times, thinking about it, being like, oh, you Ooh. care so much about income inequality. Have you thought about status inequality? Oh, 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 oh. monocle, monocle,
1: monocle. Think about that, poor person. <laughs> you have the exact same <laughs> status as <laughs> me. Now I shall drive away in my Mercedes Benz.
0: <sighs> it's coffee bedtime. No, no, no,
1: no, no. We have a new segment. We have a new segment. Oh new segment like i'm really hoping a replacement segment for the second article each week which is this week on the discord because we actually like it's so slightly disappointing that like the second that discord got like kind of active was like hey, we're not doing this anymore but luckily we have sort of maintained the discord and it is sometimes where i'll throw an interesting link that i want to talk to brian about like there's not many of us but there's some interesting things in there and i would like more people to join and certainly the people who are in there who are you know really like the podcast at least some of them say they do maybe they're just flattering us but i would really like you guys to keep posting links on there and i would like to you know pick a link from the past six months i guess (laughs) (laughs) i didn't really scroll that back far to talk about on the show so i just briefly wanted to cover and this is the big tyler thing which i'm not totally sure i get and you're right so ripped it apart this the context is that which is scarce which is like really pretentious and Tyler Coney and sometimes Tyler says things and they become the thing we need a new studies of progress and now there's like all this like a whole blogosphere based on that and like the great stagnation and now that's a whole theory so this seems to be the drum that he's banging now which like we'll link the article it's like the idea that you need a lot of context around things particularly so he talks about sort of classical music you know a lot of people can uh, enjoy the basics, Beethoven's pretty, Mozart's pretty or whatever, but to get deep into it, it's really really hard work and you don't have the context to understand why this was groundbreaking at the time because you don't understand the chord progressions that were being played with in the 1700s or whatever and how that led to people to like this same thing with modern art of like you know, if you don't understand modern art and you're just like oh, my 12 year old could do that, blah, blah 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 then you don't understand the context, etc. First, do you have thoughts on this? Do you think it's going to be Tyler's next big thing? Is there going to be a whole blogosphere of like, ah, oh, the context, that's our new quarterly,
0: periodical called The Context or whatever. I don't think it's going to be a big thing socially. It is something that Tyler's been talking about. I think he even talked about it on his uh, wrap-up of conversations with Tyler last year. Like, he was like, oh, what's your big change in focus? And he was saying that he's trying to focus more on context and understanding the world around him rather than just uh, understanding ground-up principles and those kind of things. Yeah.
1: Yep. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not convinced it's the next big thing, but I did find, like... I want to know your perspective. I would love to hear your perspective in six months, particularly. So one of the quotes from a reader of Tyler's was, I've been onboarding roughly five people every two weeks on my team. The number of people that actually learn all the important stuff in under a month is zero. The number of them that have a self-guided strategy to learn that which is relevant is almost zero. Remember, these are people with fancy college degrees that passed a hard interview on and getting paid, you know, X hundred thousand dollars. I'm now spending entire days writing and maintaining an FAQ, producing diagrams, having meetings with them to answer their questions, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's that's me. I don't have any frigging self-guided strategy to learn the context. I've got so much context being thrown at me 24 hours a day in this job that like it's all I can do to catch up with just the thing that I need to stare at in the face right now. And you have worked at the same company for... Over 10 years now, so it's probably difficult for you to put that in perspective, but you are going to start a new job in a few months. And I would be very curious, do you expect to have a self-guided strategy to learn the context of blah, 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 blah? Or like, you're going to hope that someone's written an FAQ, otherwise you're just going to stumble through. Uh,
0: Neither and both. So I think humanity solved this problem about 200 years ago when we first got into the industrial revolution where we invented the job of manager. Mm. This is what managers are for. People need direction. Yeah, You can't just bring on smart people and be like, you're smart, you'll figure it out. Like you can do it sometimes, yeah. but it's not going to be as effective as having a good manager there to coach them through part of that. And that can, you know, only take an hour a day for the first month and then they're totally right to go for the next five years. But that's why we yep. have managers.
1: Yeah. And what would those managers do? Probably spending time writing FAQs, producing diagrams, having meters with them to answer their questions. Exactly. It sounds
0: like just a manager who doesn't want to be a manager. <laughs> like it's it's kind of... It felt like reading David Graeber's Bull Bleep Jobs <laughs> again. It's like, yeah, maybe understand what your position is for, and that will help you out a lot. Like if you think about why yep. you're here, you're clearly a smart guy interviewing incredibly smart people. Think about your purpose. Understand what that is. It's to provide that context. Like it's I don't know. I just find it very
1: difficult to be popped inside of an organisation. I. I yeah, I don't really have a self-guided strategy, and I'm so struggling with what I'm meant to be doing, and I can't get anything outside of it. Yeah. Um, but I definitely—I will I don't say that there, the there
0: are good people out there who can do that, and that's why there are entrepreneurs in the world, and that's why I have a lot of respect for people who start businesses because they're basically building all that stuff from the ground up. That's true. But if you're hiring employees, they're employees, man.
1: Yep. then you have got to tell them what to do.
0: You've yep. just got to tell
1: them what to do. You got to point them in the right direction. You have got to show them the right bit of the repo. You have got to tell them what to think about. You have got to tell them all the things that they might want to think about. That's the direction you've got to give people new to an environment.
0: 100% that. Yeah, that, that's my view on that thing. Did you have other thoughts on it? Sorry to not, just not sort of steamroll it with a big opinion.
1: Yeah, no, that's why, that's why we literally why we do this podcast. And like, yeah, I quoted that one because I disagree with it so much. The the interesting one was the Z bush pack, which you say you would have gotten yourself if you hadn't been so dumb from not talking to me for so long which is like, oh, you've got to have the context of like the people in the Ottawa convoy are bad people, but so you shouldn't listen to them even if they like freedom and you like freedom, you know, you've got to listen to the good people because probably they don't have the context because they're bad, low-status dummies.
0: And it doesn't always get you to the truth, yeah.
1: Yeah, so... I don't know. I think context is important. What I, what, I don't know. what I worry about just generally with my media diet is I don't get any other context. Like Tyler himself says, I assume, and sometimes I do get frustrated with this. Like I hear all these snippets about high inflation, whatever, and Tyler barely talks about it. And he's like, I just assume you read Bloomberg or whatever for that stuff. I only add interesting stuff off to the side. I'd never talk about it in the news of the day. And I'm like, I get that, but like, you're my only source of news. And sometimes you have got to throw me a bone.
0: Yeah. So the comment I made in the discord about this topic, was I had just been listening to the podcast with Agnes Callard and Robin Hanson, where they were discussing curiosity. Yeah, I'd
1: love to listen more of that. Did they buy microphones for the second series? Like, I really did enjoy the conversation, but it is terrible quality.
0: Uh, Yeah, the audio quality is still not that great. Conversation quality is very good. They think so differently to me. It's eye-opening. Like, yeah, I can sometimes see myself generating the same thoughts as V or even when I'm feeling particularly inspired, Scott Alexander. But mm-hmm. Robin Hanson and Agnes, their minds just go completely differently to the, anything that I could possibly anticipate. Yeah, they're different people. So anyway, they had this conversation about curiosity and Agnes Callard's pushing Robin about, you know, why is he curious? Why is it good to be curious? What's the whole point of being curious? Why does he want to know how many people listen to their podcast? And blah, 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 blah. And as soon as Tyler laid out, like, context is that which is scarce – That's what you're trying to satisfy through curiosity, right? You're just trying to get as much context as possible to be able to enjoy as many different things as possible more thoroughly.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Anyway, maybe if you want to listen to thinkers who are much deeper thinkers than us.
1: Do like a deep thinker. Have a
0: try of minds almost meeting, but It it
1: is really interesting, intelligent conversation from two people who are both very different from Brian and I and also very, very different from each other. They're sort of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, good podcast. I do want to go back and listen to more of it, but yeah,
0: it's just hard to listen to. I almost want to buy them both microphones. Also, they never, well, they haven't addressed so far the fact that the last episode of the first season just cuts out halfway through the conversation. Is
1: that related to the conversation? I was hoping that that was like some kind of clever in-joke on what they were talking about.
0: (laughs) No, it just sort of stopped and I'm like... Alright, All right, there you go. That's the Discord. The come join the Discord, people. It's great. Oh yeah,
1: so that, that's why we're making this new segment in part to reward our Discorders who talk to us and give us interesting links and I truly enjoy being in the Discord now that there's a few people to talk to and also to maybe build a few more of you in there if you want to come join the Discord. I will put the link in the show notes and come and have a chat with us. There's little links. It's not a really deep ongoing discussion. We'll have a chat about each link sort of thing, but it's a fun place to be. I'd love it if there was more of you there.
0: Awesome. Cool. Alright, what do we do now?
1: It's coffee pit time. I stopped my singing lessons <laughs> six months ago,
0: so I'm a little out of practice. <laughs> All right, I'm not even going to do my singing bit. That was too good.
1: <laughs> um, I happen to be drinking a zero alcohol beer here. Really, quite a good one and quite a cheap one. And yep. this is a product category that like seemed to vaguely exist five years ago, but seemed to explode during lockdown when everyone was drinking heavily and then couldn't stop and been like the only way I'm going to stop drinking is to keep drinking but not have alcohol in it, at least that's my theory. And I wanted to sort of bet on the growth of that market. And you've actually worked in the beer industry in the past and have maybe a greater context for this. Uh, so I don't know what it's at at the moment, but I want some bit, kind of bet around like, you know, how much is it going to grow as a percentage of the alcohol industry over the next three years? Because it seems to be off the Just in right Australia? Uh, let's find where we can
0: get numbers for it, right. John. Cool. Because I think it'll be very different globally. So the knowledge that I have as an insider who worked for one of the biggest beer companies in the world for a little bit, was back in 2017-18. Zero alcohol beer was like biggest growth category in Europe, for sure. Hmm. And it was pretty, it was getting up there in Latin America as well. So I feel like hmm. Australia is a late follower in that front. Yeah, right. Uh, global non-alcoholic beer, according to Business Wire, has a forecast CAGR of 8.7% out to 2030. percent.
1: I mean I'll bet that it's higher than that just purely based off how much more I see it in the past year. All right I'll take that bet. You reckon they're accurate or even a little bit on the high side?
0: What's that? So eight years. Just under doubling if I take the rule of 72
1: right? Yeah that's what I'm not uh, yeah it's a 95 percent increase by 2030.
0: (sighs) Now that I think about that almost forget that the last two years existed. I know.
1: It still feels like 2020. I often still call it 2020. I'm of the opinion that 2020 is a state of mind. (laughs) It does feel tighter now. We're only doubling in that time. Yeah, it seems way too low. I'm definitely taking the high side of that. This globally? This is global. Mm-hmm. So, possibly, I don't have the context. I just see the Australian market going off the chain.
0: Yeah. What could be the other things in its favour, like just political movements against alcohol doesn't feel like we have that if anything we're getting more liberal with drugs but substitution yeah. across different groups status
1: laws uh, i mean political movements against sugar is the one that i'm thinking is going to be a big tailwind and one of the reasons i drink it Yep. it's like i don't want to drink a soft drink because evil sugary soft drinks are bad probably this thing is perfectly healthy that i'm drinking
0: right now probably probably you know what i'll still take the low side so right. i'll take 8.7 or below 8.7 low k by 2030 another long range bet all right done
1: all right, so is, is there news in Diablo 2? Do we have a Diablo 2 bet that we have to close? I think we we'll do it was six months after it came out. It must be about now.
0: No, the, the first ladder is going to start in like a next month.
1: Oh, there's no ladders yet?
0: No ladders yet. First ladder in oh. somewhere between four and six weeks. So it's still ramping up.
1: Oh, it's ramping up. You reckon it's getting more popular?
0: No, 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 no. I was the one who said it would go down a lot. From the first ladder To the second ladder Right Or from the first remember. ladder To the third ladder So the tail risk Has bitten me Because I think Most of the player base Is already left now By the time the first right. ladder Comes out Yeah I did not
1: expect That at all That yeah Everyone's already left Before the first ladder Even starts So the second one Looks comparatively huge Because everyone's already gone Yeah, yeah not called exactly. that.
0: It's just done Anyway <laughs> Tail risks this is how you learn them. You make lots of bets about stuff and have to give a yeah, lot of coffee. Yep. have to get bit by things that you never even considered. Cool. So, yeah, that's the Diablo news, I guess, that I can cover this time. There's a ladder coming out.
1: Are you going to race to the top? Are you going to be the best necromancer on the US West 2 server or whatever the hell it was?
0: So, somehow, in amongst all my research for this video, I have landed myself in an oh. eight-man team, actually oh. practicing the speedrun strategy for oh. the eight-man team. Nice. And because I know so much about it from all my research from my videos, which is about the history of eight-man world records, yeah, I have somehow become the captain of that team. Captain Brian, of course you have. That's amazing. That's fantastic. So there's another captain, but yes, that was it. I was just like, you know what? I'd love to play. You guys are actually playing Australian hours. Everyone else plays at like five in the morning, so I can never join their groups. That'd be a lot of fun. And then I'm like. So, here's how you read maps, and here's how you do that, and here's how everyone should have their character builds, and this is what that person's doing wrong, and this is what that person's doing wrong. And then, they're Unbelievable. like, you should you should step up a little bit, Every guy. Every
1: time I think you're as deep into this hobby as you can possibly get, you can go even deeper. I really thought this whole Diablo 2 thing would be a flash in a pan. You impressed me. When did you get into Diablo 2? <laughs> like, where did, you get, where did you get into it?
0: I got back into Diablo 2. It was through Games Done Quick, because I was at a business yep. conference, yep. learning to be a better manager, Back in 2018. Nice. So I was like- 2018. Being the lonely bored businessman in my hotel room. Yep. Just being like, all right, whatever. I'll watch some YouTube videos. I was watching some speedruns at the time because I used to speedrun Metal Gear Solid. And then I was like, what other old games are fun to watch speedruns of? And Diablo 2 was one of them. And that's where it all started. That's been your life for four years now. What fun. Four years. And I still haven't found oh, Tyrion's Might. Still
1: haven't found Tyrion's Might. That's so heartbreaking. Eh, whatever, I'm looking forward to the podcast episode where you found it. I'm a speedrunner
0: now. I guess
1: it <laughs> sure. could be a history of grails of the past. Can you speedrun a grail?
0: Yes, a guy has done it. I think the fastest is like 500 hours or something like that. Ugh. Ugh. All yep. in a row with no sleep. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, no, he slept. That's just <laughs> the time he was running, but he was running like it's a guy in New Zealand, actually, a guy called Inferno. Yeah, and he was doing like 12 hours a day every day. Wow, what a stream! What a madman.
1: What a madman. All right, we wrapped it up. We didn't thank our patrons because we don't currently have any. We might ask you again, but at the moment, let's just uh, chill out and enjoy ourselves.
0: All right, rock on. This is fun, everyone. Bye. See
1: you in the Discord.
0: So to make up for not having decaf coffee, I'm drinking hibiscus and passion fruit tea.
1: Oh, man, geez, that seems so upper class.